If you want to turn in your Bibles, we will be in James chapter 2. A few years ago, I was at District Summit, and we have some really good speakers that come into that. We're very blessed by the uh, decisions that are made for the people that we hear. And this particular District Summit speaker came in and challenged us and just asked us a simple question. He asked, what would happen if your church closed its doors tomorrow? Besides the people that immediately attend your church, would the community even notice? In other words, would hungry people stop being fed? Would, um, stop being fed? would people who are coming there to um, gain freedom over addictions be, you know, not have that kind of a service anymore? Would the gospel stop being spread both in word and deed? Would these things happen if you closed your church tomorrow? And if, they are, and if they would not stop and the community wouldn't even notice, then why are you there in the first place? And it was a very challenging thing for me to hear that. But now I ask the same question of all of us. What would happen if Whitehall Assembly closed its doors tomorrow? Who would notice besides the roughly 15 to 20 people who attend here every week? Would the community even notice? Yeah, but that's a question that we have to ask ourselves is, why are we here? So today we're going to be in the first of a three-part series of our last part of our vision statement, which is serving our community. Our vision statement is a progressive vision statement, is, is a knowing God, and that once that we know Him, we start to become more like Him. We start learning to love each other and, and be like Jesus in the, in the way that we interact with each other. And then when we get those two things in line, we are um, compelled to go out into our community and to serve the community to win people for Jesus. And really, that's part of the history of the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God was formed primarily as an evangelism organization. When we were formed in 1917, we were formed to um, have a way to get missionaries out into the world, out into the highways, out into the, the places that uh, people didn't even want to go, whether it be China or Pakistan or, or right here in the United States. We were set up as a missionary sending organization to be able to credential ministers and make sure that they were ready and funded to go overseas or out into the, the areas here in America. The second reason that we were um, established was to worship God, to have a community of believers come together, worship God, and to disciple believers, which was the third reason. Those were the initial three reasons that we came into being as a fellowship of believers. Recently, we added a fourth reason for being, and that was to show compassion. And I initially, I was kind of resistant of that change. I'm thinking, you know, if, if, if we're out there evangelizing the lost, if we're worshiping God, if we're discipling believers, then there, we're are naturally should be out there to uh, show compassion to people. But I've kind of uh, changed my thinking about that a little bit through... Uh, reading various books and just listening to God in prayer. And I've come to see the wisdom of having a priority on that also. And I'd like to share that with you today. So the big idea is a question of why should we, as followers of Jesus, be concerned with compassion type of ministries? 
And I came up with a few reasons that the idea of serving our community and why it's important enough to add this to our church's mission statement and our vision statement. And the first reason for Compassion Ministries is that simply stated, it reflects the heart of God. I want you to think about this for a minute. That Jesus coming to earth to save us was the first example of a compassion ministry of the modern church age. I mean, think about it for a moment. We were all absolutely helpless in our sin, weren't we? We were all in a jail of our own making. We were were just so blinded to our condition, we didn't even see the prison cell. We didn't see the bars on the doors. We didn't see the, the guards walking back and forth, spiritually speaking, keeping us in this jail. We were utterly and completely helpless and hopeless before God. And most of us didn't even have time for God before we got saved. We were too busy enjoying life. We are too busy being comfortable in a lifestyle and a mindset that was dragging us down to, construction, down to destruction. A lot of us were even God-haters, if we were honest. We were shaking our fist at God, saying, you, you can't tell me how to live. This is my life. This is my, these are my plans. These are my possessions. These are my, my thing that I got going here. This is just all for me. But God still had compassion on us. It says that God, in Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrate his own love toward us. In other words, he showed compassion for us in demonstrating his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we shook our fists in the face of God, while we willingly put blinders on to our condition, that he still showed his love toward us. That he still set his son to die for us. Because it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is love. That is the love and compassion of the Father. And that is why compassion ministries are so important in the church. And it's that same compassion that should drive us to serve our communities in tangible ways, to show them the love that we have experienced in Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Isn't that the heart of God? Isn't that why Jesus came and not only died for us, not only raised, uh, was raised from the dead, not only filled us with the Holy Spirit, but kept his church here? Isn't that the reason that we are here to fulfill exactly what Charles Spurgeon was saying there? The second reason for Compassion Ministries, the second reason that we want to serve our community is it brings together the message that we speak with the actions that we do, or our deeds as the Bible puts them. So in James 2, starting in verse 14, James's bold little brother here, I call him, 
He's, he's, he wrote probably one of the most practical books of the Bible here. And that James takes all the, the huge theology and, and all the, the big ideas that Paul had and broke them down for us and just created a very basic book of the Bible that said, this is what all this means. It's not just something that you're going to believe. It's not something you're going to just sense in the spirit. But this is exactly how you are to do it. So James begins here and says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Amen. You see, Christians, especially today in America, we go out there and we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We get people to the altar. We get them saved. But oftentimes those same people that get saved, that experience the new birth, that experience the, the total setting free of all these addictions and the joy of the Lord, and then all they do is they have a tendency to just sit in a pew. And it's because it's, it's, it's largely the church leadership's fault is that we don't challenge people to get out there and learn what their calling is. We don't get out there and challenge them to say, God has gifted you this way and you need to serve him like that. And we are not saved to sit, are we? It's like getting drafted by the NFL just to be comfortable warming a bench. Okay, we're getting paid and we got the uniform on, but nobody ever sees us play the game. And God did not spend his son's life blood for us to save us just to use Jesus as some sort of eternal life insurance policy. It's like we bought fire insurance and we don't have to worry about hell anymore. Let me bring a well-known event to explain this a little bit. In 1912, a ship set sail from New York City from Great Britain. About halfway across the Atlantic, it runs into an iceberg. Initially, there wasn't much to worry about this. You know, they weren't worried about this after it hit the iceberg. I mean, after all, the guy who designed the ship said, you know what, God himself could not sink this ship. Which is, I think, the reason it sank, but I don't want to get too far out there. But because they had this mistaken belief that this ship was unsinkable, the crew had never once had a lifeboat drill. None of them had any idea of how to launch a lifeboat in normal, calm situations. Not when the boat is listing, not when it's tipping this way or that way. They had no idea how to work the lifeboats. They had no idea how to work their lifts, the winches, the pulleys, nothing. They had no idea how to use these lifeboats. When they got to the point of the, when the gravity of the situation finally became apparent to the captain and he ordered the evacuation of the ship, he tells the crew, get these people into the lifeboats. And because the crew didn't know what they were doing, most of the lifeboats were only about one quarter to one half full because that's all they could fit in them. That's all they knew how to, to do. And all these people, the ones that got saved, they rolled away from the doomed ship. And these people in the lifeboats 
sat in the safety and watched this ship sink. They sat in safety. They heard the cries of the people and did nothing. They heard the people freezing to death and did nothing. They heard the people just trying to swim and flailing and trying to survive in that cold Atlantic Ocean and did nothing. That is a picture of the person who gets saved and does nothing after that for the Lord. And it's an example of what James is talking about here. Christians being comfortable in their salvation. Saying, you know what? We have a nice building, don't we? It's air-conditioned, new sound system, okay pastor. You know, Amen. We're, we're doing, yeah, <laughs> we're doing, we're doing okay. We have our little circle of Christian friends. We have our church family. We have our eternal fire insurance in Jesus. So we're doing okay. And Jesus is actually unsinkable. So we get to be comfortable and ignore the rest of these exhortations in the Bible. Maybe one of these exhortations that says, continue to work out your salvation. Amen. Work out your salvation with joy and peace and safety and, and wealth and prosperity. Maybe that's another version. Because my version here says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear. What does God say? I know he uses a four-letter word here. It's work. There is work to be done in the kingdom. You say, I'm not growing in Christ. I ask you, what are you doing for the kingdom? What work does God have for you to do to proclaim his gospel? Because you will never, ever, ever become more like Jesus until you learn to work for the kingdom. You are not saved to sit, and you're definitely not saved to sit in a lifeboat. Amen? You know, this is why the Bible describes a backslider as shipwrecking their faith. I think that's in there very, very deliberately because it just shows the idea of a person that is so comfortable in their faith and so comfortable sitting in a church that eventually they're going to be backsliding. The kingdom of God is like this. You're either walking forward or you're backsliding. There is no sitting. You can't stand still in your faith. If you, it's, it's almost like we're on a, a greased track here. If you're not continuing to move forward, you're just going to slide back. So you have to be moving forward and pressing on toward the goal. How many verses in the Bible talk about that? I mean, I just ask that the Holy Spirit just touch you right now and just bring all these verses to mind that talk about pressing onward toward the mark, that talk about overcoming, that talk about working your faith. True faith, the kind that will keep you secure in your salvation, moves a person to action to save others. It challenges us to grow in good works, and that's what James is trying to convey here. It puts a burden in our hearts for prayer that says, Lord, I can't live another day thinking about my neighbor going to hell. I can't think, I can't just live like this. I can't live just sitting here watching TV, 
while people are dying in their sins. I can't live another day without the power and the fire of God within me that wants to see people come to know Jesus, that wants to see people come and be discipled and sent out to do more work of the ministry. We want the life-giving water. As Pentecostals, we want to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit. We want to see um, just people just be slain in the Spirit. We want to see people speak in tongues. We want all of these things. But we don't... It, we have to have that living water flow into us, but it has to also flow through us. What did Jesus say? Is, did He say you're going to have living water flowing into you? Or did He say I'm going to have living water flowing through you? Does it say in the Bible that heaven has a great lake of, of life? No, it says it has a river of life. Because we are not meant to be repositories necessarily of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit. And a conduit takes something from one place and brings it to another. It doesn't hold it within itself. Remember Jesus, he would always go off to pray. Remember when the, the woman came and touched the head of his garment? What did it say? It said Jesus felt the power go out from him. We are to be rivers of the living water. Because what, let me ask you this, if you have inflow into an area and no outflow, what does that form? Stagnation. Stagnation. It forms a swamp. It forms a swamp, doesn't it? And what's in swamp? A bunch of, bunch of stuff dying or dead, right? Smells. That's what a lot of Christians in, when they all want to be takers in the kingdom, but they never want to give back. We just become smelly old swamps, spiritually speaking. And that's why it's so important, and it's one of my biggest focuses as your pastor, is to help you discover your calling and your giftings to be working in your ministry. You know, you're all called to the ministry, right? If you're a Christian, you are all called to the ministry, to help you discover that and to help you grow in that so that you can push forward the kingdom of God in this community. I can't do it by myself, and nor am I meant to, and nor do I want to. Because if I'm doing it all on my own, I'm not doing my job. It says that it is he who, called, who calls people to the ministry. And it's because he calls the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, and the teachers. All these people, he calls them to equip God's people for the work of the ministry, not do all the work of the ministry. And so I ask you this, do you want to cross the finish line gasping for air as one who barely made it? When you appear before Christ, do you want to just stumble into the room, fall down and say, oh, man... I didn't think I was going to make it. Do you want to come before him like that? Or do you want to come before him as he tells you to be in the New Testament? As more than a conqueror. Riving to a room that is full of your good works and everything that you came to do for the kingdom. That have gone on before you. So you can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Personally, I want to arrive with, with a few things that I can lay down at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in worship and say, I, this is yours, Jesus. And it was done with your power, 
in your will and with your, your um, fame in mind. The third reason that we should be involved in compassion ministries is it gives us the right to speak to people. When we were at District Summit this last year, we were honored to hear from a woman named Hoda Buntain. Hoda Buntain was a, went, to her, went with her husband, Mark, to Calcutta, India. And they were supposed to be kind of on a short-term missions trip. It was only supposed to be one to three years. Well, she's been over there over 65, almost 70 years now. Calcutta is an area of 14 million people. If you uh, need some perspective on that, that's more than the population of Wisconsin and Minnesota combined. <coughs> that's a lot of people. This and this Calcutta, these 14 million people exist in an area eight miles long by five miles wide. 40 square miles has that many people. In comparison, Wisconsin has 5.7 million people spread out over 65,000 square miles. And most of them are actually in the southeast portion of the state. So just think of how congested and dirty this city is. The Buntains obviously had an enormous work set before them. And they labored for years among the poor. India has a caste system where you are born into a certain social um, and economic caste, they call it. They have three of them. They have the low caste, the medium caste, and the high caste, and those are usually the rulers and the rich people. You're born into this caste. Once you're born into it, you're pretty much considered at the low caste. You're just refuse. If you're dying on the street, nobody's going to take care of you because, well, you're just low caste, and that's just the way it is. It's your fault for being born into the low caste, and reincarnation plays into that and everything else. And so they were ministering amongst the low caste, and they weren't having a lot of results at the, initially. And they kept working it, and they kept working it, and they're not seeing a lot of fruit. You know, they'd get a few people coming on Sunday mornings. And finally, one Sunday morning, there was just this, a guy showed up for the first time. He's just starving to death. Can't you just feed me and then tell me about your Jesus? Death. And it just changed their entire mindset about ministry. And instead of just going out and preaching the gospel, they started living the gospel. They started promoting the gospel and the messages of building schools for these people, of feeding people. They built hospitals. They built orphanages. They built clinics. Today they have a food distribution program in Calcutta that feeds more people than your average city here in Wisconsin. Twenty Over 20,000 people get fed each day through their ministry. 20,000 people a day, every single day. That's a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, amen? 20,000 people a day. And the most memorable thing I took from Hoda speaking to us, she's over 90 years old now. One of the most memorable things I took from her was this. Is she said, sometimes you need to earn the right to speak about the love of God by first showing the love of God before even speaking about it. Amen. So I want to challenge you today. I want you first to join me in prayer. Prayer first and foremost 
must be the lifeblood of anything we do as a church. And it has to be the starting point. Because prayer deals with the mind and the glory of God and his will for us. Prayer has to be our foundation and our bedrock and our starting line for anything we do as this church. Please be in prayer about the people here in Whitehall and Trempealeau County and what we can do to bring the kingdom of God to them. And the second is offer suggestions to me or to each other. Maybe we can have a brainstorming session one Sunday of different ways that, that we can bring the kingdom of God. Some of the, the things that you know from living here most of your lives, or at least a lot longer than nine months that we've been here, that you can tell me that need to be brought to this county. Help me with this. Let me know so that we can see and we can meet these needs and partner with other churches in the area to help us serve our community. Because there are other things that other churches might be able to do, but we can help them get behind that and still serve this county. I mentioned to a few of you, I met with Pastor Yvonne at Divine Saviors and with Dan, who was the interim pastor at the Baptist Church um, last week. And we were starting to brainstorm ways of, of doing just this. And one of the things that are being done right now that I would like this church to get behind is the food bank. I guess there is a food pantry here in Whitehall that serves people the last Wednesday of every month. So I want to challenge you that next Sunday that you would bring donations for this food pantry. Now, I talked to Mike um, Demeling, I think his name is. Demling, thank you. And he told me that they need non-perishable items, canned goods, and dry goods. Now, I would ask that you would bring some of these. We're going to do this every month. The last Sunday before the last Wednesday of the month, we're going to bring in non-perishable canned goods and dry goods. And then I'm going to run them over there on Wednesday so that we can help um, serve the people here in Whitehall and Trempealeau County that are needy. Now, when you go to your pantries and you decide you know, what you're going to bring, you pro people probably don't need the pumpkin pie filling that's been in the back of the pantry for like the last three years. They probably don't need that. So just put this, you know, add something to your shopping list. Maybe you bring it, you buy an extra can of peas or two cans of peas. Maybe you just buy one or two extra macaroni and cheeses. Whatever your shopping list is, or maybe even you can do this. Fast a meal and bring the food that you would prepare for that meal and make that part of your food pantry offering. Wouldn't that make an impact spiritually if we did that? Spend the time in prayer instead of eating and bring that food to help somebody else? Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Tammy mentioned it during the announcements. But we're going to be talking about the power to serve and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just to give us goosebumps. It is not just to, so we can walk out of here and say, hey, we had a great church service today. It is power to be a witness. It is power to serve the King of Kings. We are blessed to be in the church age because no other age in history was the Holy Spirit actually residing within each and every one of us.
Hi, Pastor John here. I hope and pray that you are blessed by listening to the Word of God being preached today at Whitehall Assembly of God in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. If you'd like more information about us, you can go to our website at www.whitehallassembly.org. Or if you have a question about the sermon, you can email me at pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God richly bless you as you continue to grow and serve Him.